Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the NBA Finals File with Robert Ori and Jabari Davis. I am Jabari, former NBA writer turned podcaster, and this is seven-time champ, Big Shot Bob, a.k.a. Robert Ori. To Ori for three. Oh, unbelievable. This guy is off the charts. What's up, Jabari? It's great to be back for this Finals moment. I can't wait for this one. You want to know why? Why? It was my first year in the NBA. Oh. So I'm excited to do a deep dive into this one. I'm excited about that. I can't wait for your story time. I'm hoping it's related to that you know, later on. But yeah, no, this is this is definitely one I was looking forward to because this week's matchup is the 1993 finals between the Chicago Bulls and the Phoenix Suns. Let me just ask you this, man. And I, I'll probably ask, ask this several different ways along the way. Watching this, were you reminded of just how great Michael Jordan was at this time? Because for whatever reason, I, I know I watched his entire career but watching this footage, it was just, it was amazing to me. When you watch Michael Jordan, you get mad at him. <laughs> what I mean by that, he makes everything look so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a couple of moves. I'm like, how do you get away from that guy? Yeah. It doesn't look like you're moving that fast. But then you play against him, the guy's like a blur. And to really sit down and deep dive into this series and watch Michael Jordan, it really makes you appreciate and really want to call him the GOAT because everything he did on the court Look effortless. And and believe me, I you know, I, I was in the generation that wanted to compare everybody to him. And look, I, while I've got plenty of there are plenty of great players of all, you know, you know, all-time greats, for me, yeah. What rewatching this series let me know, okay, yeah, let me be quiet about those, you know, some of those comparisons because Mike was just a different breed to me. Yeah, Mike was a different breed. And I want to point this out before we get started, because I know we're gonna point it out throughout this series, but Mike shot the ball from three very well. He did. And people always talk about Michael Jordan was a three-point shooter who, if he would have shot threes, he probably would have averaged 40 because he was doing all his damage inside the three-point line. But when need be, he knocked down a bunch of threes in this series. And and you know what? That, and I'm glad you made that point specifically because, you know, people don't, you know, people, you have to have context when we have these conversations. The three-point ball, the three-point shot wasn't, you know, at nearly the weapon that it is now, or even you know, you know, ten years ago, when Mike was playing. Matter of fact, the three points didn't the three point shot come into the NBA like in the '79 <laughs> season, so like just a couple years before his career started. Correct. You know, yeah, like if I, I put it like this: if Mike wanted to be a three point shooter, it, it would have been disgusting. 
<laughs> it really would have been. It would have. And I think a lot of people who sit out on the outside looking in who don't play basketball and don't know, okay, this is how we played in the 90s. You know, you shot maybe four or five, maybe 10 threes a game. If that, you didn't have to. You were doing damage on the inside. And it always boils down to getting buckets. You think about this. You have the three-point shot, which everybody utilizes. And it's, a, oh, he's averaging 30 points a game shooting threes. Mike averaged 30 points a game without shooting threes. So if he would have added that to his repertoire, he probably went up to 40, 45, 50. You know, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Seriously, who knows? All right, so let's talk about their path to the finals. The Bulls, they beat the Blazers in the finals the previous year. They finished 57 and 25 for first in the Central this year. They were 3-0 over the Hawks in the first round, 4-0 over the Cavs in the second round. They had a nice battle, 4-2 over the Knicks in the, in, you know, in the conference finals. It, does anything stand out about their run to the finals for you? I think watching that, and I always say each series sort of prepares you for the next. And I think when they got to the finals, the Eastern Conference finals, to play the Knicks, that was a team that was gunning for them. You know, the previous year they had battles. And this year, they the Knicks had prepared that team for the Bulls. Specifically for them. Because it was like, this is a team we have to beat. So they prepared for the Bulls. But the Bulls was a little too much. You got a guy by the name of MJ and a guy by the name of Pip just kind of took over in that series and was able to beat the Knicks in that series uh, four to two. But hey, it also prepared the Knicks because what did the next year happen? The Knicks went to the finals. We already talked about that <laughs> series. I think we may have covered but, that. But, you know, the Knicks eventually lost to Houston Rockets team, you know, starred by a guy by the name of Robert Ory. I'm not even going to give you any pushback on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so uh, switching over to the West, the Suns path to the finals. The uh, previous year, they lost in the semis to Portland. Uh, they finished 62-20 and 20, uh, for first in the Pacific this division. They beat the Lakers 3-2. We won't even talk about that in their opening <laughs> round. They beat the Blazers 4-2 in the, in the semis, and they were 4-3 over the Sonics. Did you notice anything specific about their run? That year was Charles Barkley's best year in the NBA to me. You watched him when he was with the Sixers. You watched him, you know, become the great, one of the greatest players in the game in the Suns. And then, you know, after that, you know, the career and the injuries kind of took its toll. But I just think the way he played, the way he was a man amongst boys. If you watch Charles and, and if you know Charles, he's not that tall. Charles is only like 6'5", you know, compared Ooh. to bigs that dominate in the paint like he did. They're 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". But Charles just was a beast off the dribble, pulling up for threes you know, mid-range game. And after watching this series, I think the NBA took note and was like, okay, we got to put in a rule because Charles would get the ball on the block and just pound, mm-hmm. pound, 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 and try to back you down until he got off a shot. So the NBA like, oh, this is slowing the game down. We got to put a five-second rule in. That I was just going to ask you, was that around when they put that rule in where, where they would start penalizing folks if you took too long on the block? I came like two years later, I think. Okay. But it was, but Charles was the reason I get that it. this rule was <laughs> implemented because he would just get it on the box and just try to back you down. And you make that one little move where you lean to the right, he'll spin baseline. You lean to the left, he would just you know go over the top of you. So Charles was a master at the ground and pound. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about the historical uh, significance of this matchup. The Suns were the number one rated offense, and you know, not to be you know, not shockingly, the Bulls were number two. They were also the preseason favorites, you know, in Vegas to win the title. Coming, but you know, that's not necessarily a shot coming off back-to-back titles. Uh, the Bulls were looking to become just the third franchise in NBA history to complete a three-peat, joining the uh, 52 through 54 Minneapolis Lakers, and in the 59 through 66, you know, Boston Celtics. Welcome to the NBA Finals. In the case of the Chicago Bulls, it's welcome back for the third year in a row. They seek, as you know to become only the third team to win three NBA championships in succession. Each year is a different experience. The first time you're, you're thrilled to be there because you've never been there before and everything's new. Uh, last year we were just on a mission and this year you have the chance to make history. You stay focused on that and you don't get too overwhelmed by the whole situation. Barkley was the league MVP, you know, alluding to what you just mentioned. You know, he was the lead MVP following leading Team USA in scoring the previous summer and you're at the Olympics. Just really quickly on that note, I don't know if you saw uh, he was getting a little bit of flack uh, after this, you know, him being Barkley after stating that he was the second best player on that, you know, dream team. Uh-huh. I absolutely I, I, look. 
I remember the players, but I'm not just going by the names. At the time, I don't think that's even a question. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Um, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly because Magic was on the decline. Bird was on the decline. You know, Scotty was still trying to figure who he was out. Um, you had Carl Malone was the guy on that team. Everybody was like, mm. you got Clyde Drexler. Those two guys could have been up there with Barkley. But I just think the overall game, Barkley was you know, the second best player on that team because the way he played. And he was he's that type of player that's an anomaly. He's not a big. He's not a small He's in between, so you don't know what to guard him with. Do you guard him with a small four? He's too strong. Eat you guard him with a big, the big's too slow. And so he had that game that was in between that made him so dynamic. And you know what? And he, and he absolutely backed that up. Like you know, like we mentioned, he was the MVP of this regular season, and you know, took his team to the finals. So what about the coaching matchup? We got Phil Jackson versus the late, you know, Paul Westfall. A very good coaching matchup. You know, what were your thoughts on that? You know, you, you look at this series, you look at the coaching matchups, and you say, okay, who's going to win this one? I would have said Phil all the way because Phil's coaching staff and the way he approaches the game, um, just from watching, you know, you got to think about this. This is my first year in the league, and I'm sitting back watching this game and, and, and intently, and I'm saying, okay. And you look at the poise of each coach. Mm-hmm. Phil being the stoic guy, Paul being the guy who's like all over the map, you know, and I'm watching this <laughs> game and I'm realizing, as a coach, Paul was acting like he was a player because it was when, in one of the games where Dan Marlin misses a shot. And the coach actually does the coach choke sign to Dan Marlin. Like, what coach does that? You know, but it's just, that lets you know, you know, the, the difference in the mindset and the, the maturity of the coaches. So it was one of those things where you were like, okay, we see why Phil is known as one of the greatest coaches in this game. Hey, you know, I think he knows a thing or two about, you know, interacting with his players. Did you see that? I didn't. I didn't see the choke sign. I, I, now I have to go find it. Dan Marley misses the shot, and Paul West Paul does this like, "Oh, you choked on that one." I'm like, what? and Dan <laughs> Marley looks at him like, "Really, dude? Huh?" Yeah. I'm like, what the? <laughs> but he was smiling about it, right? I don't know if that's to keep him loose. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, time for a quick break. Game one coming up next. Did you ever play the over under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. 
I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on NBA Finals File. Let's go ahead and jump into Game 1 because we had the Bulls trying to steal home court advantage away. Rob, you're in the league at this stage, and obviously you competed against both teams this season. Did you have a feeling about this series and how it would go coming in? I, I thought because the plan in Phoenix and their home court, um, when you walk into that stadium, their fans are engaged, they're loud, they're rowdy. And I know the Bulls get this every game they go to because everybody wants to come out and see Mike. But I thought... You know, the energy that the Suns fan would provide them would get them past game one or, you know, or keep them, you know, in the game at least because home court advantage to me is so important, especially when you go up with a team that's powered by a Michael Jordan. Absolutely. And in getting into it, look, you, you know, I got to be honest about it. I, I, I heard that that old NBA on NBC music, you know, <laughs> as I started watching the footage and it did it for me once again. I was right back, you know, 13, 14 years old. It's, it was something about that music when it came on. You do exactly. It put a smile on your face when you hear it, man. It's, Absolutely. Some things, they, they should not change. And that's that music. It should be forever used. I don't care what channel it's on. Bring that music back and bring Bob Costas in to just bring it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, lay, lay out the series. Bounce back to Michael. He stops. Fires. Banker's going. All right. So the Bulls kicked off scoring off a deflection from Jordan that led to a pip and layup and transition on the other end. Rob, let me come to you, you know, about this because this is debated on Twitter at times. I know Pippen, you know, he often took the hardest assignment as a means to preserve MJ you know, on the offensive end. But there's a certain faction of NBA Twitter that somehow uses that as an indictment of MJ's defensive abilities, which is absolutely nuts to me. Where does Mike rank in terms of perimeter defenders that you've seen and played against? You know, I don't know why people say this. I guess they always try to knock down the people on top. But... MJ guarded a lot of people. I think it had to do with the size. It, it wasn't. And if you look in this series, you had Dan Marley and Richard Dumas and, and, and Kevin Johnson with the guys on the perimeter. Mike could guard all of those. And why would you want to guard Kevin Johnson, who's going to expend a lot of energy? He will make you expend a lot of energy. Just stay on, you know, Dan Marley, who's going to spot up with threes, or Richard Dumas, who all you got to do is just box out because he's so athletic and he crashes the offensive boards. So you don't make, an offensive player worked out hard on defense if you don't have to. And you can see that into the league now with Steph Curry and other players that have played this game. You don't make them work that hard defensively because they can use they'd be better off on the offensive end. Yeah, and it, it's funny that you mentioned Steph, and, and, and I'll get off of that. But I always laugh when people say, oh, he's beaten hidden. It's like, yeah, but are you seeing all of the things that he's doing on the court? <laughs> yes. are, are you seeing all of those things? Yeah, I also want to point out because a lot of those guys, they're great at reading the ball. And they can get a bunch of steals. Allen Iverson did the same thing. You know, it, it, uh, Chris Paul does the same thing. There's so many guys that do that where there's they know the game so well and they can anticipate plays that it put them in the position to get steals. Speaking of steals, Chicago was fifth in the league in steals this year. Jay lost it on the dribble. Dumas gets it back. He picked it off by Pippen ahead to Jordan. Jordan on a breakaway, and there's a highlight reel as he jams it in. MJ actually wound up with five in this game. The Bulls dominated the first quarter, looking to you know, run on misses, you know, run on turnovers, and they really crashed the offensive boards, leading to second chance opportunities. Uh, the Bulls were up 34-20 at the end of the first and pretty much had control of the action. But I want to take a, a moment to discuss a couple players with you. Outside of a couple games, you know, and this is the guy that you just mentioned, Richard Dumas, you know, he was really he was a really good third option for Phoenix, you know, third or fourth option for Phoenix in this series. You know, Dumas had, you know, he, he had his professional career cut short due to some personal issues. But can you describe, you know, just what his game was like for people that may not have seen or simply don't remember? Richard Dumas was one of the most athletic guys in the game. He he could drive, he could shoot. But if you got caught in that paint, he was going to jump over you and dunk on you. It, let me just describe. Everybody knows Scottie Pippen. Oh, yeah. Scottie Pippen is a type of guy who's athletic, uh, can jump. This was Richard Dumas without the ball handling skill. Richard Dumas was that guy who could shoot, who could jump, who could do a lot of things defensively. And Richard Dumas, you know, like you said, due to personal issues, his career was cut short. 
And I remember the first time I had to guard this guy, you know, he just smiled. He never said a word, but he was so explosive as a player. He would jump over you. He could get rebound. And, and, and the thing I have to say about him that was really a big key to his game, his motor. He never stopped moving. He never stopped trying to get offensive rebounds. The guy was a, a great athlete. No, without a doubt. And I noticed they were switching between Dumas and Marley on Pippen throughout this one. But it didn't, honestly, it didn't seem to matter because he had it going from the start. Squares up, shoots off the back of the rim, and packs it with a great feed inside of Pippen for a two-handed jam. Is Pippen at a point where he's actually underappreciated in terms of the general conversation with the Bulls? Understandably, look, you know, most of those conversations center around you know, MJ, but are we at a place where you know, we don't appreciate you know, truly how great Pippen was? We do not. Um, I think if you go back to when MJ stepped away from the game and you saw what Scotty didn't make the playoffs or what it was, he didn't do that well. So everybody said, oh, you're not that good without MJ. And that was unfair uh, because now everybody's keying on Scotty. So it's really hard to, you know, be a star in that triangle situation where you got guys that are double teaming you and you don't have the teammates around you. And, but, MJ is the type of player that can take the shine from so many players. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the league that he could have played with that have been like, oh, he's just a Robin. You know, but Scotty was a Darkwing. You know, people who know, know comics, the Darkwing went off on his own, became, a, you know, a great hero. So I, I just think that's how Scotty was. He was, the you know, Batman's Robin for a long time. There's a play right before the half where Jordan blows by Thunder Dan at the top. Then he weaves his way past Oliver Miller and Barkley to lay it up through contact to put the Bulls up 11 at the half. Jordan spins away on Marley. He'll take it all the way to the basket and drops it in. <laughs> oh, what an explosive move. But I mentioned this play, you know, specifically because Mike cradles the ball in one hand like it's a golf ball. And I'm going to bring this up because Phil Jackson always mentioned his overall strength as pretty much otherworldly compared to players his size. And do you agree with that? Because I, I'll be honest with you. It was, I, again, I watched his entire career, but watching this series really pointed things like that out for me. You know, if you go back and look at when Mike first came into the league, he was a lot smaller and he took that beating from the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, this is when the torch was kind of passed to MJ. When he went into the weight room, he started working out before each and every game and after the game. So he got stronger, he got bigger. You know, if you want to compare someone, look at Steph Curry in this day and age. He hurt his hand, you know, he had an offseason where he just spent time in the weight room. That's what they talk about now, his love for the weight room. That's where he's able to do the things he's able to do now. His shots look really even more effortless now because he got stronger. And that's what MJ did. He got stronger, he got faster, and he was able to take contact when he went to the hole. Because if you go back to bad boys, the Detroit Pistons, when MJ went to the hole, it was about knocking him out of the air, trying to hurt him. And so he wouldn't come back because they know how dynamic he was when he got to the paint. So his body transformation had a lot to do with the Pistons and it made him MJ, the superstar, the GOAT. There we go. So here's a funny one. Mike only has 10 points well into the third quarter. But he finishes the game with 30. So I want to ask you about someone that you played with Kobe and for Phil. Do you think Phil specifically asked Mike to pull back a bit at the start in order to get the other guys going, similarly to how you described Duncan's approach last week when we discussed 05? I think the, the, the great players, they take what's given to them. And if you see a couple of guys are rolling, why not let them roll? And you sit back and say, okay, I can save my energy for the second half. And I think the great ones do that. I think MJ saw how Pippen was playing how BJ was playing, how Horace was playing. He was, you know, we're winning. We, we won this quarter 34 to 20. Why do I need to, you know, come out and try to, you know, put my mark on the game when these guys are putting their mark in the game? Now, that's going to make it easy for me in the second half because players, we all have egos. And if your man is scoring, you're like, okay, I know the game plan is to help out on this other guy. You're not going to help out because your guy is scoring and you don't want to look like the fall guy at the end of the game. So I think that's what MJ does. Are there, are there ever times where, as a player, you're like, oh, man, I'm going to hear about this in the film session? Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. I, I, I had an instance where we were playing um, the Rifleman, Chuck Person, in Minnesota, where he went off for, like, 41 points. And I'm like, man, it ain't all my fault. 
I said he had three when I went to when I came out the game, <laughs> and when he got hot. And that, let me just say this: by any NBA player, it doesn't matter who you are defensively. If he gets hot, you just gotta wait till he misses because there's nothing you can do defensively to stop him. Either double team or triple team to get the ball out of his hand. So Phoenix, they fall to within four by the end of the third quarter. But you know, basically, it was too much MJ and Pippen in the fourth. In fact, Rob, if you're coaching this series for Phoenix, how are you defending Mike? I'm asking because they put KJ on him a lot, you know, whether it was, you know, for stretches or, you know, on switches or whatnot. But, you know, I got to be honest with you, Mike was just destroying him from the mid-range, and, you know, there really wasn't much that KJ could do. And uh, the Suns right now playing Matador defense. They're kind of sitting around watching each other, expecting something to happen when they got to make it happen. And the lead balloons to 20 now. Don't play like we're afraid. They get whatever they want. Get them off the block. Play some defense. Push them. We're playing like a bunch of whips. Was there a better strategy against Mike? You know, when you look at the makeup of the Phoenix Suns team, you go down the roster, you're like, who can guard him? Dan Marley, maybe not quick enough. Richard Dumas, not quick enough. KJ, too small. So, okay, Danny Ainge, eh, we can put you on you, but you're too slow. They didn't really have a matchup to compete with MJ. So the best thing to do is to get the ball out of his hands because you can't let the best player on the court get to his comfort spot, knock down a couple of J's because once they're rolling, like I just said, you cannot stop them. The Suns' game plan wasn't great because they let MJ get open shots. They didn't double-team him. He pretty much did what he wanted to do in these in this series. Speaking of the Suns' game plan, one more note here. You know, Phoenix. I noticed in the you know they, when watching the watching the footage, they shot a long you know a lot of long and contested jumpers, and then the Suns were specifically really trying to crash the offensive boards, which resulted in the Bulls running each and every time they could. Honestly, I lost count of how many two on one and three on one breaks they had in this one. But do you think that was something that Phil would have specifically put in the game plan heading in? Well, you know, the thing about the, the, the Suns and the Bulls, their offense efficiency was great. And that has a lot to do with them crashing the boards. I think it's about taking advantage of the opportunities. If you look at the teams and you look at who has the the horses, like we like to say, who has the horses to give them down the floor, that's what the Bulls were made for. You know, they had Horace Grant, who could be a 3-4, Scotty 3-4, MJ, all these guys, except for Cartwright, were guys who can get up and down the floor. And you look over at the Suns, Barkley's not really a guy who's going to get up and down the floor. Richard Dumas, Kevin Johnson, those are only two that were up and down guys. Every other guy was half-court set type of guys. And I think that was one of the things the Bulls like they want to exploit, exploit the speed. And it, it made sense in this one. Barkley across the timeline. Hang, top of the key, underneath the Miller for the jam! Now everybody's running the court for the Suns. A Barkley three brought Phoenix to within six points with about a minute to play. The Suns have turned it up a Nice stop step, spin move by Barkley. Barkley lays it in. But then on the very next possession, Mike just casually dribbled the length of the court you know, weaving around defenders, you know, put up an uncontested layup to put this one out of reach. After leading by as many as 20 at one point, the Bulls wind up taking this, you know, game one on the road, 192. But I want to circle back to that point really quickly. Again, I know that we are, you already mentioned how just how easy Mike made things look. But for whatever reason, he seemed to shoot a lot of uncontested layups in this series. You, you talk about his ability to get to the hole and, the, and his strength. and the game has, this is how you show the game has started to change. If that had been against the Detroit Pistons or the, you know, the New York Knicks, he wouldn't have got those easy layups. He'd been getting up off the floor. But you look at the West. The West wasn't a ground and pound type of conference like the East, Eastern Conference is. And so on that play, though, you're talking about Mike getting to the hole. Phoenix Suns, you're probably one of the best defensive teams out there. This is Michael Jordan. Mike. You pick him up as soon as he crossed half court. But that that goes back to, you know, the matchups when you're always trying to switch guys onto one another. And we always, you know, we just talked about Michael Jordan going a different guy. That is another thing. You put Mike on the other guy on the offensive end, now the shot and we take off, you usually take who got you. Now Mike has a mismatch on the other end of the floor. And if you're trying to switch and transition, you get an open layup like this, like Mike got, because that's what happened in that play where the guy he's guarding is guarding someone different on the other end. So in transition, they're trying to switch. And if you're attacking going downhill, it's hard to recover. 
that is just wild to me because I honestly, you know, to the, to your original point, it's Michael Jordan. Somebody pick him up. <laughs> Somebody get him. I don't care who it is. Somebody. Marley in a drive the other way. Runs on in. He missed it. The rebound, Michael, who jerks it away from everybody. Looped ahead to Paxson. To BJ running in. To Horace. He goes up and jams it. All right. So let's go ahead and go to game two. We ended up getting a fantastic Barkley and Jordan duel in this one. Phoenix is trying to tie things up. Rob, you know I love a good showdown. You know I do. Game two provided that and much more. So this game starts off with a long two from Barkley. Then a Jordan pull up in the in semi transition. So basically, they each set the tone right away from the opening start. What does this do for your teammates when you, for you like say you're a teammate on this team and you see the two main stars battling out from the jump like this? What does it do for you? It, it does two things. I wish she was in the stands with some popcorn watching because you love great matchups. Think about it. They both have 42 in this game. They both was very dynamic. There was you know pulling everything out of the repertoire, threes, twos, dunks. But as a player, and you're on the court, you're just trying to get out of their way. You're just trying to run plays to put them in their sweet spots. And what I mean by the sweet spot is where they score often. We know MJ's sweet spot is when he steps on the court. You know, Barkley's sweet spot is on the block. So you just try to put those guys in positions to succeed. Honestly, it really didn't matter how the teams defended either of the, either of them in this one. You know, they were sending doubles at Mike on the catch. You know, he would just hit. He would just turn and hit you know, a baseline turnaround over him. And the Bulls have hit their last eight shots on fire. And a timeout taken by Paul Westfall. Now underneath, Michael fights up stars with a left hand. Uh, the Bulls had Scott Williams on Barkley at one point. Pippen was on him for stretches. And I noticed that Horace you know, was matched up with him as well. Rob, I specifically want you to break down Barkley's game for us because you already mentioned it. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's playing power forward for, you know, for folks. You know, for the folks that may not have seen his career or they just see him as that jovial, you know, make you laugh entertainer that he's been on inside the NBA, you know, for the past 20 years. Can you let the folks know? You know, it, it's hard for me to give praise to a guy who went to that school down the street from Alabama. I don't even want to say it, but I'm going to have to say it, <laughs> Auburn. But Charles is one of those guys, when you watch him play, and you look at his physique, you're like, oh, he, he's not a basketball player, but the guy could flat out play. Uh, we talk about things that make guys so great. He could shoot the ball. He could rebound. And he, he could do things that no players could do. I remember watching him when he was in Philly. He gets a rebound, takes it coast to coast, and jumps from the dotted line and dunks, and the whole backboard is just swam because – his force and his his ability to just dunk so hard is incredible. But then when you break his game down, you watch him on the block. His footwork is so great. He knows how to use his size, his strength. He knows how to pump fake you, especially against taller guys. Because we just talked about it. Most of the guys that guard him are taller than him because he's only 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so he pump fakes. He uses his size. And then you think, okay, this guy is 6'5". Oh, I got him where I want. And next thing you know, he explodes up and dunks on you. And he had the strength to do all this stuff in the paint. That's what made him so incredibly good. And I don't think people understand. He had a right to say he was one of the best players in the game doing MJ. He said he was the second best player behind MJ. And I don't I don't refute that at all. I think he was. Was, was he just a, a smaller version in terms of strength in the paint like Shaq? He was. Or did, is, is it... it it okay. was. It's, it's a different type of strength because Barkley was, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to explain because when Shaq's tall, the strength is hitting you up around your shoulders and Barkley's strength is hitting you around your hips and moving you. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's easier to move someone from the hip than it is the shoulder because you can matrix somebody on the shoulder, but you can't mm-hmm. matrix anybody with the hip. You're going to get moved out of the way and you're going to get dunked on. And this crowd right now, sitting back a little bit on their seats, they are scared to death the Suns may lose their second straight here. So the Suns ended the half on a 7-0 run, uh, speaking of devil, punctuated by a Barkley and one to cut it to just a six-point Bulls lead at the half. The Suns are not going to go down easy. This is a team that's been down all night long and somehow stayed very much in it. Second half was more of the same because Jordan and Barkley continued to pace their respective squads, but Horace Grant actually really got it going offensively in this one. Did you? Did you? Uh, were you impressed by his game? I was very impressed by Horace game. He started attacking basket. As you remember the first game, he was probably non-existent offensively. And that's a sign of good players. You know, you could say, okay, you know what? I didn't put up the effort that I should have offensively. I was kind of sitting back. 
And when you see a guy, when he first comes, he starts attacking the basket. He starts taking shots. I mean, his whole mindset was like, hey, it's, I'm not the guy from last game where I sat back and didn't take any shots. And that's what you have to do also on the other end. We talked about this with Michael Jordan, guarding guys that don't, um, you know, have that the, the best of the offensive skills of the other guy. And think about it. Barkley's guarding you. You got to go at Barkley, too. You got to make him work so he doesn't have all this energy on the other end. So I think that was Harris's mindset. Danny Ainge was really strong for Phoenix off the bench, too, in this one. Suns had the ball. Barkley on top. Over to Marley. Covered by Jordan. Out to Ainge. Hop up a three. Suzanne! Yeah, Danny Ainge was a, was a spark for them. Didn't play that many minutes in this series, but when he came in, he came out strictly as a sniper, coming out to try to knock down threes and do what he wanted to do. You know, he was three for four in this game. And when you got guys that can bring the defense out, it makes it easy for guys like Charles Barkley and a name that people forget that was really nice back in his day, Tom Chambers. You know, these guys could score in the paint and do things that people don't, don't remember Tom Chambers, but this guy could score in the paint with these. Oh, man, if you don't remember Tom Chambers, just Google, and I'm sorry, Mark, I'm so sorry, uh, you know, Sir Jackson, just Google Tom Chambers dunks on Mark Jackson. Like, that's earlier in his career, and, you know, he, he was a little, you know, a little bit older at this stage, but he actually has some, you know, some pretty good moments in this series. Yes, and, and in this series, you needed your bench. If you look at the first game, the bench was kind of quiet. In this game, you think about it, the bench came out. You got 20 from Danny Ainge, 9 from Tom Chambers, and eight from my former SEC battle rookie, Oliver Miller. And Frank Johnson, old man Frank, came off the bench and gave him four. So their bench showed up in this game. So down the stretch, they actually let MJ go one-on-one versus you know, versus Thunder Dan. And I guess I have to ask you, why no double? And I, again, I, I don't mean this as a disrespect. You know, you know rest in peace, you know, Paul Westfall. And, and, and who the heck am I to question it? But I'm going to question it. Why were they not doubling at least in spots against Mike? You know, that is one of those questions that cannot be answered um, because there are a lot of coaches, they just don't believe in double team. They think one man can't beat you. I know Phil had that philosophy. You know, he, he felt like certain guys just couldn't beat you. And I don't know why. I know when I was with the Houston Rockets this time, every time MJ got the ball, we had a play called Denver. We would run someone at him and say, hey, we're going to make somebody else score. Somebody else is going to have to step up. And so... Some coaches just don't believe in double teaming. Oh, well, good luck with that. Ultimately, you know, while Barkley was outstanding, the Bulls were able to hold on and, you know, and win game two, 111-108, to take a commanding league back to Chicago. Phoenix Suns become the first team to lose games one and two at home. And the Bulls are going to head back to the Windy City with two in hand and three if needed to be played at the Chicago Stadium. Considering his straightforward and direct approach on Twitter, I, I, I was entertained and I, was, I found it interesting. Uh, that Magic, he was very, you know, at the end of this game, he was he laid it straight out. He said, Phoenix is going to need to play better team defense to have a chance of winning a game in Chicago. You know, the, the thing about Magic, he's been there, done that. And it's always funny to hear him do the announcement because you're like, I forget he was one of the analysts yes. and one of the announcers on NBA but for the game. So it, it for me, it always boils down to defense when it comes to the finals. It, it, when you get to this, you know, the conference finals, NBA finals, you're going to have to buckle down and play some defense. And for the Phoenix Suns to get back in this series, they definitely going to have to buckle down and play some defense. And just a couple quick notes on this one. MJ, MJ put up 42, 12, and 9. Horace Grant had a nice 24 and 8. Pippen you know, was solid as ever. 15, 12, 12. Yes. Two blocks, two steals. Goes up for a three. Pippen blocks it. Pippen blocks it and makes the steal. Boy, what a sensational block by Scottie Pippen. You know, on the on Phoenix's side, you know, it was it was a battle. Barkley, you know, put up 42, 13, and four. You know, as we mentioned, Ainge was really good. He had 20 points off the bench, four, you know, four assists, three rebounds. And Thunder Dan in particular, I wanted to give him, I wanted to give him a shout because he had 13 points, nine, you know, nine boards, but he also had five blocks in this one. You say, why didn't they double team? Maybe that's why, because Maybe. Dan, because Dan was Dan Marley was playing good defense. But I, I also want to see talk about how good Pip was in this game because we go certain times in games guys get overshadowed by the 42 points by MJ by the 24 points by Horace Grant but let's look at Pip he got a triple double mm-hmm. in the finals 12 rebounds 12 assists and 15 points and he had two blocks and two steals in that game so overall he had a great game and this is why when people 
say, oh, you know, Pip was the Robin to MJ. Yo, it's hard to get a triple-double in this day and age because a lot of shots, uh, there's not a lot of shots being thrown up like, you know, in this day and age, but Scottie Pippen's triple-double was great. You know, he just, he played magnificent in this whole game. He just was, you know, the Pip that's the top 75. I'll just say this very quickly. Mike, like while I consider him the GOAT he, and he deserves all the credit he deserves, I don't think he has the six rings if he doesn't have Pippen with him. And I don't even think that's a crazy thing to say. I agree. All right. Time for another quick break. When we come back, game three, a triple overtime classic. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on NBA Finals File, and let's go ahead and jump into Game 3 because it was a triple overtime classic. And you could see the Phoenix was locked in from the start of this one. It was no longer the all-Barkley, all-day show. You know, Kevin Johnson was looking to attack. In fact, as weird as it sounds, all of the Suns looked far more comfortable in in Game 3 than they ever did in either of the first two games in Phoenix. KJ starting on Michael Jordan today. And the defensive change has bothered Chicago early. Rob, did you read that as a team that was in desperation mode, you know, given the circumstances? Or is there is there anything to a team needing to maybe hit a bit of adversity in order to get it going? I, I think it's a little bit of desperation and back to the wall. Elite athletes, they step up in a time of elimination. Or not, I know it's not elimination, but if you go down 3-0, that's pretty much like being eliminated because no team in the history has ever come back from 3-0 deficit. So I think it was the, the fight or flight came into effect, and they fought They fought hard. And if you look down this line, it had seven guys to score in double figures. So that means they was key. They was keyed in, locked in, and they was ready for the, the challenge. And they stepped up to the challenge. He shoves a weak pass, cross-court, tipped away from BJ by Dumas. He quits the way for another throw down, his third quick basket. Here's up for a three. Yeah. Oh, what a shot. 
It, it was definitely great to see them all step up to the challenge. And I actually wonder, uh, and it, it's something that, you know, like I appreciate uh, Super Producer Peter for pointing out. In this game, you'll notice Chuck has his elbow wrapped, and it looks like a pretty heavy wrap. Uh, it, you know, could, could that have played into it? Folks simply knew, hey, look, you know, the big guy's a little bit hurt, you know, you know, dinged up. We have to step up. That could that could play into it also because you know so many guys around the league when the superstar goes out, their eyes light up because that means I get more shots. I can show you <laughs> what I can do. I can show you why I'm in the NBA. And we we're not going to probably talk about this guy a lot, but Mark West was huge in this game. He had 11 points, but he was a force on the inside. We talked about how MJ got to the bucket with ease in game two, but now Mark was stepping up, you know, being a big body, make him defer, make him do things. Even though, you know, MJ is MJ, he's still going to get his buckets, but sometimes to be that deterrent on the inside makes a big difference on guys like, you know, maybe Scotty, uh, you know, uh, 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 any other guys that like to penetrate, you know, maybe a, a, B.J. Armstrong or Trent Tucker, all these guys who were coming in, and know, and John Paxson. I know it's not to forget about John Paxson, but these guys who like to penetrate and do things and kick. So I think Mark West is a name we're not going to mention much, but he was big in this game. I'm glad you mentioned him because he actually he had several blocks in the first quarter and in multiple possessions where his presence was you know, either made folks reconsider or simply alter their shot attempts. You know, essentially forcing misses in the paint. And that's actually something I, I, I do want to specifically praise the Suns for, because it felt like there was at least a, a at least a slightly greater attention to detail on the defensive end. I know that, you know, I know it was still 58, 57 at halftime, but at least they it felt like that they eliminated some of the easy looks and wide open shots that the Bulls enjoyed throughout those first two games in the series. Yes, they had they had eight blocks in this in this game. So that's that's huge for them. Absolutely. And another name. B.J. Armstrong, you know, it feels like we don't mention him enough when we're discussing, you know, these old Bulls teams, but he was an integral part of their success and was really good both scoring and distributing throughout this game for the Bulls. On the flip side, this was also Thunder Dan's best game of the series at this point. By far his best offensive night. He scores 28, all while dealing with being the primary matchup in Jordan for the bulk of this one. Yeah, you know, B.J. Armstrong, always call him the baby-face assassin. He's a guy... You look up, he says, he got 18 points. In this game, he had 21 points. He was knocking down a little baseline jumper. He hit one three. But on the flip side of that, like you saying, Dan Marley was huge. Six for eight from three, being aggressive. And I think Charles, knowing Charles, probably went to dance. Yo, we need your outside shooting. It just ain't about defense. You got to score. You got to make these guys work. You got to make Scotty work on the defensive end. You got to make Jordan work on defense because that's going to make us better. And Dan, Dan came out. Thunder Dan came out. The real thunder. All right. So I know there's going to be some folks that are going to roll their eyes at this. But as I watched this game and this series overall, admittedly, it made me miss the triangle offense. Again, <laughs> I understand the game has changed. I'm just saying it was beautiful to watch. You know, how Jordan and Pippen and those guys, they spaced and executed. Honestly, it was just a reminder of how beautiful that offense was when you specifically when you had the horses and the ability to uh, execute it properly. You know, the triangle is basically what everybody runs now, except for you have a big on the inside. You move the basketball, you, you put yourself in the position to score, you read the situation, you cut or you spot up or you slide to a different area. It's about basketball. It, it doesn't matter if you're in a flex offense, the triangle offense or high post offense. If you move the basketball and the players move, it makes it hard on the defense. So I noticed that Westfall was going to more lineups that featured Tom Changers and Ainge on the court at the same time in the second half of this one. Do you think it was a matter of willingly swapping out defense in hopes of keeping things flowing offensively? I, I think you look at the lineups they had out there with Chambers and, and Danny Ainge, it gave him more of an offensive punch. And because, you know, Mark West, even though he was big in this game, he can become a liability because you can back off him and he won't shoot the ball. But think about it. Tom Chambers has a 15-footer, 18-footer, and can, on occasions, maybe, you know, clock running down, he might shoot a three. But Danny Ainge is going to pull the defense out. And you need that for Charles Barkley, who was in the paint, scoring at will. All right, so let's move forward in the action. You know, as Jordan actually starts the fourth quarter out 0 for 5. But there's a specific play early on that I want to ask you about. Pippen is in the, inbounding the ball beneath his own basket. Ainge is defending the inbounds and decides to turn his back to Pippen. 
Pippen wisely tosses it off his back, recovers it, and takes it in for a dunk. So this is where I have to ask you, because we've seen this play done at times you know, over the course of, you know, of basketball games, but did it surprise you to see it available in such a huge game in a huge moment like this? You know, when you, you think about Danny Ainge, um, as much as we give him grief sometimes, he's one of the smart players that play this game. And when you have MJ coming off that play, you want to say, okay, you can't let the most dangerous man in basketball get the ball. So what do you do? You try to help. But he made a mistake about turning his back and allowing, you know, that foot of a space between him and the baseline where Pip could throw it off, recover, and go to the hole and dunk it. But, you know, what's more dangerous? You take that, you take the chance of Pip doing that, or you guard MJ? I'll guard MJ every time also. I, I could understand that mindset. But as players, are you specifically looking for that type of opportunity? Or might that have been something that was specifically mentioned in the game plan to watch for something that Ainge might do in that situation? But, you know, it's just a read. Um, so many things happen in a basketball game where it's a read. And guys are so athletic and so smart. They can adjust on the fly. And we talking about Scottie Pippen, one of the smartest guys in the game, one of the guys who can really adjust on the fly with his athleticism. He sees that opportunity. He bounces perfectly, perfectly, might I add, off Danny Ainge's back. Because sometimes guys will get so excited they see it. They throw it, it comes off too hard mm-hmm. where you get, you know, out of bounds call. But he did it perfectly. Hit off Andy's back, plants both feet, gets it, then goes up for a dunk. Masterfully done. All right, so moving forward to about 145 less than the fourth. Jordan has the ball on the baseline with KJ on him. He spins off, drawing the double and even triple team, only to find Horace Grant flashing for a dunk and the foul. Is this simply a read and react? Or is that something that was specifically designed in Phil's offense? And I ask because I watched Kobe do that with Shaq and you and others at, at, at times throughout that run as well. It's about playing basketball. It's the right basketball move to make. Uh, everybody thinks, you know, you, you, you give so many these star athletes so much criticism about, oh, he should have took that shot. But it's the right basketball play. When you see a guy streaking towards the basket and there's no line of defense in his way, you give it to him so he can score easy. Sure, you might have the mismatch. Sure, you might have the, the advantage because you are the, the megastar, but you play basketball the right way. You give a guy who's a guaranteed two with a dunk better than your shot over a contested shot. So it's the right basketball play. All right, fair enough. Barkley will try to win it one-on-one on Horace Grant. In and up, rebound Chicago. Jordan calls a timeout. The Bulls will have it at midcourt. We're tied at 103. This is a barn burner. And what a ball game we have had. So Barkley has a, actually has a chance to win it in regulation, but his contested jumper, it hits the back rim, and we're headed to overtime. Jordan was actually on a 1-for-12 stretch before finally hitting the turnaround jumper at the free throw line with just over a minute to go in the first OT. And honestly, it did feel like the defense, they got a bit more physical with him at this, part, at this particular part in the game. While he ultimately scores 44, the Suns made him work for every last one of them because he took 43 shots in order to get them. Yeah, you know, the thing about that is you, you, the first thing in a locker room on the game plan, the superstars, you have to make them work for their buckets because, you know, it's one quarter, you fresh. Second quarter, you might be starting to wear down, but that fourth quarter, even though you're an elite athlete, you start to wear down because it takes a toll on you. I think when you're in a situation like that and you're guarding MJ, you have to put a body on, you have to make him work. So, because if you watch MJ's shot, he uses a lot of legs. And so you want his legs to be a little bit tired so they don't get up as high and the jump shot is is not as pretty, as I like to say. So the teams only scored four points each in the first overtime. But I want to point something out because Tom Chambers has a really uh, nice drive and sort of over-the-shoulder layup with just over 50 seconds. Yeah, let's talk about Tom Chambers. You know, we talked about his ability to, to pull the defense out. but And you talk about Googling Tom Chambers' dunk. Tom Chambers was one of the most athletic guys in the NBA for a while. He was in the slam dunk contest. He did a lot of things that people don't know about. But that move right there is not a move that Mark West could have made. So this is a, this is why you put Tom Chambers in the game. So he drives baseline. And Tom Chambers, two years prior to that, would have did a nasty dunk. But that one was kind of just a little, you know, a little light tap dunk. But Tom Chambers, man, he was a guy that we don't we're not going to mention much, but was like you said, you need to Google this guy because he was an exceptional basketball player. 
Absolutely agreed. Both teams scrapped back and forth for just seven points each in the second OT, with Thunderdan's long two sending it to a third overtime. And we go to a third overtime! Where the Suns wound up outscoring the Bulls 15-7 in order to take this one 129-121. Chambers, baseline jumper, off the rim, no good. Chambers missed a wide-open shot, and Stacey King threw it right to Barkley, who lays it in! Oh, that might be the backbreaker! In a remarkable come-from-behind victory, the Phoenix Suns in triple overtime have defeated the Chicago Bulls to follow their way back into the series. All right, close as it can be right now. Ain't nobody can say shit I up with a heart. All right, hey, we're part of history, team of destiny. All we need is three more. Yeah, Barkley ends up with 24 and 19. KJ, probably his best game of the series to this point. He has 25, 9, and 7. Marley also had 28 and 7. And the Suns, actually, I think you alluded to it earlier, they wound up with seven guys in double figures in this one. In one word, they definitely needed an all hands on deck performance. In the series, as finals move on, you would think guys would lengthen their, you know, their rotations. But if you look at this, they kept it short, they kept it sweet, they kept it tight. They only played really three guys with Oliver Miller, you know, getting 11 minutes in, in the game. And sometimes that gives you a better a better rhythm as a player because you get more minutes to try to get your game going. And then outside of Mike's 44, Scotty, the guy that you mentioned at the la- in the last game, he has another near triple-double with 26, 10, and 9. Uh, BJ Armstrong got it going, and we mentioned that earlier. He had 21 and 7. But I also want to give specific props to the work that Horace Grant and Scotty Williams did on the backboard. They combined for 31 rebounds combined in this one. Horace has always been a workhorse. You know, I had the pleasure of playing with him when I was a Laker. But think about it. This guy is always around the basket. He had eight offensive rebounds. Scott had six offensive rebounds. And that guy, Scottie Pippen, that almost had a triple-double, one assist shot, he had five offensive rebounds. So when you got guys that are long, athletic, and you're playing against a team that's like Sun, that's not as long, that's not as athletic, you have to use that ability to get to the back and get extra buckets. So those guys were big on the offensive rebound. And then one last point that I want to make and, and get your opinion on, you know what, as much as, you know, as much as I was you know, questioning, why were they putting KJ just by himself, you know, like on Mike at times, he actually does a pretty good job, you know, like you know, th- throughout this game on top of being aggressive offensively, this was, you know, like I said, this was probably his best, you know, best game of the series to this point. Uh, you know, the thing about it, you, you play the, the numbers and, Michael Jordan took 43 shots in this game, 43, nine threes. And we, he doesn't usually take nine threes. So he took 43 shots for 44 points. So if MJ is going to take 43 to score 44, we're going to play those numbers because if MJ takes 43, that means he's getting 80 points normally. So <laughs> I, I think when you have guys that can contest shots and, and make them work to get baskets, because KJ is a good defender. He's not a great defender, but he's a good defender. He can stay in front of you. And he's got a little size and a little strength where he can contend with Michael Jordan's his abilities. And then the last thing I saw it in here, like he, KJ played 62 minutes in this game. <laughs> like, like for us normal people, that doesn't even seem possible. But you know what? Salute to him. 62 minutes going battling, you know, giving it offensively and also battling up against Jordan is just amazing. We'll cut part one off here, but when we come back for part two, maybe the greatest playoff performance of Michael Jordan's career. Hannah Storm and my new podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm chronicles my six decades in professional basketball from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.